Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I am here in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, uh, with a very interesting individual, Wes Seiler. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. A, you're very flattering, and B, it's been too long since I've seen you. I know, it has been. And a special thanks to Rocky Talkies for their support of this week's podcast. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by a small team in Denver. The radios are extremely rugged, easy to use, and compact, weighing in at just under 8 ounces. They have a range of 1 to 5 miles in the mountains and up to 25 miles line of sight. The batteries will last from 3 to 5 days, and you can recharge them easily via USB-C right in the vehicle. Our team uses Rocky Talkies, and we also used them recently at the Overland Expo. The next Overland Expo, stop into our booth and say hello and check out the radios for yourself. And as a listener of the Overland Journal podcast, you can get 10% off a pair by going to rockytalkie.com forward slash Overland Journal. Thanks again, Rocky Talkie. It's been fun to be back in Montana a lot more recently. And uh, we were talking about just a few minutes ago, but what do you think is this this draw to Montana right now? Yeah, I mean, so obviously, you know, pandemic trends have accelerated moves to rural areas. But outside of that, I think the thing that attracts people to Montana is that there's real danger here. And whether that's winter weather, whether that's an avalanche, whether that's a grizzly bear, whether it's just the extremely low population density and the amount of trouble you can get in as a result without sure. access to help. You know, this is a place that attracts self-reliant people who want the ability to go out there and test themselves and do so without a whole lot of oversight. That attracts a, a broad swath of people from all spectrums of society. So what's interesting to me is how you got from, if, you, if I remember, you grew up in South Carolina. Was that correct? Uh, from Georgia. Georgia. Uh, I was born in Georgia. My family's in North Carolina. North Carolina. I grew up mostly in England. Okay. Uh, my dad worked for the Department of Defense. And then I've lived in London and New York, Los Angeles, and now here as an adult. So, so talk to me about that process that goes from growing up in the Southeast of this country Mm -hmm. to where you decide, I want to move to Bozeman Mm -hmm. and you want to have the adventurous life that you do now. What was the, what was the impetus for you becoming the West Siler that we know today? Right. So I should, I should point out first that I had nothing to do with moving to Bozeman. Um, <laughs> this is entirely the uh, the result of my lovely wife, Virginia. We met in Los Angeles. I think on our first date, she said, you know, I'm not going to live in Los Angeles forever. And I was like, my kind of girl. <laughs> and, you know, we got serious and we were thinking about a lifestyle upgrade. You know, I didn't grow up in this country. I've lived here since 2006. Yeah. I wasn't fully familiar with everything. And the places that I had had a lot of fun outdoors and where I had existing friend groups and things like that, that felt right. It it was the PNW. It was, you know, Bend, Oregon, National Oregon, Seattle, and outside of Seattle. And that felt exciting for me. But Virginia was always kind of like, that's not quite enough. I never really understood that because I'd never been here. I'd never been to Montana. Got it. This to me was a was a blank space on a map that I was pretty convinced was uh, was South Dakota. <laughs> and so as we were shopping for houses elsewhere in the country, she orchestrated a little vacation here. Uh, got me drunk at dinner one night. We were walking back to the hotel and she's like, why don't we just move here to Bozeman? And I was like, you know, really? There's just one street. <laughs> you know, you could do this. And she was like, yeah. Four months later, we had bought a house, moved up here. Well, and you guys were right before the onslaught, literally, of people moving to Montana. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, our, our timing was very good. You know, it was... It was expensive back then, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, it was a challenge. And once the pandemic hit, I mean, it's just it's just been insane. Yeah. And my heart goes out to people that want to move here now because it's just there's there's no inventory for houses whatsoever. Yeah. The rental market is 
predatory. You can't buy a house for yeah. more money. You know, it's it's nice to be here now. It's as you saw, very crowded downtown with tourists. It was, yeah. We're also talking like we tend to concentrate our our views of things into very small areas. Mm-hmm. And we say, oh my God, Bozeman's blown up and yeah. it's crazy. And, you know, you drive 10 minutes in any direction and it's empty and there's nobody around as far as you can see. Well, I so was still really special. Area. I was camped about 45 minutes away and there wasn't, I didn't hear another vehicle. Mm-hmm. I didn't see another vehicle. Yeah. Uh, I was perched up on top of this, this promontory overlooking the valley. And it yeah. was gorgeous, man. Yeah. Just gorgeous. I hunt bears right where you camp. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, that's a great segue because I'm really interested to understand what you have learned in the hunting space that you have brought with you to travel and to overlanding? That's an interesting question. I should start with, honestly, kind of a neophyte hunter. Um, I came into hunting as an adult. I've had some good mentors. Obviously, through work, I can have experiences and tutelage and access to you know products and gear that people couldn't, and that's helped speed me along. But at the same time, I, I am not, I'm not Steve Ranella. Yeah. Right. I'm just somebody who goes out. I really enjoy seeing animals. I've always loved animals, really fascinated with them. And that's really sort of spun into, into hunting. Hunting is seeking out for me is for seeking out the most challenging possible experiences outdoors. Yeah. And, you know, trying to make things as, as challenging and difficult as possible and getting close to animals in the mo- and, you know, gnarly as possible environments. And, and I, I really enjoy that. And there's definitely a parallel to how I travel because the most interesting places in the world are all, you know, obviously the, the most difficult to reach. No doubt. Uh, that are the yeah. most dangerous, that are, you know, places that other people shy away from. Whenever I travel, I also try to take my my love of the natural world into that to try to see the animals that are there, to try to see the scenery and the places yeah. and, and learn about the plants and animals that exist in those unique environments. And it's so interesting when we travel to the developing world, a lot of times there's very little animals left there. I mean, there may, they may yeah. have some, some reserved areas, uh, but it isn't until you really get North America is an example of good wildlife management. Uh, but when I crossed uh, Russia, I didn't see a single wild animal. No. And you, and you want 12,000 miles. No, you want many yeah, places. 12,000 kilometers. Um, yeah. It's we, just crazy. America is so unique in the way of this exceptionally wonderful and, and, and successful wildlife management program. We take for granted, you know, we drive everywhere in America. You see deer. Yeah. Uh, you drive out west, you see elk. We see bears when you go camping. You know, all that stuff. That does not exist in the rest of the world, yeah. nor does access to it. Anybody can go hunting in America of any income level. It's accessible to everybody. And in fact, it's still a way that, you know, millions of low-income families put healthy protein on their on their tables every sure. year. That doesn't exist in Mexico. That doesn't exist in Europe. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Europe, hunting is only accessible to the very rich. It takes place all on private land. It's mostly, you know, pinned and released animals or cultivated raised animals. We are so lucky to have this. And I feel like we take it for granted. You know, one of the things that I'm interested in is you've had such a variety of outdoor experience all around the world. Mm -hmm. You traveling with a vehicle up to this, up to recent years Mm -hmm. has been just a tool to get the job done. Yeah. And now you're enjoying more of the recreating with vehicles. What, What do you think overlanding is doing right? And what do you think it's doing wrong? That's a good question. The overall trend of empowering people to get more from their vehicles and get more from the general experience of the outdoors is very good. I was talking this weekend with my friend Connor, who was around the corner, and Connor is a successful, well-educated person who drives a stock 4Runner. It's his first 4x4. He's never really driven off-road before, and he has no idea how much is out there. So I'm always encouraging him to go a little further with his car. I'm like, hey, man, you should get suspension. You need recovery equipment. You Mm -hmm. should grab max tracks, you know, that kind of thing. And he's always like, why? And then we invariably go on a camping or hunting trip together. And he's like, yeah. I did not know this was here. And you're right. like, there's so much of this. It's just 
everywhere. And so many people don't get to take advantage of it. And so overlanding as a as a trend or a movement or yeah. activity is really positive. And that's helping people get more from their vehicles and understand that there's so much stuff out there to do. You know, at its worst, it's just another fetish like, you know, bolting big giant wings to the back of front wheel drive cars was yeah. in the early 2000s. You and I and other stakeholders in this world and other people that are influential in this world really need to come together and, and, and find ways to make it so it's not a big wing where it's actually empowering and helpful and a really cool thing. Yeah. Quality, functional, safe, yeah. safe. Safety is a lot is, of, a lot of people are overloading their vehicles. You and I have talked oh my about God. that a lot. So. I, I, had, I had a really good phone call with REI recently. Uh, REI is delving deeper into the overland space. They mostly see it as crossovers and that kind of thing. You know, what, what you and I would probably traditionally describe as car camping, it's yeah, not sure. long distance international travel, but as people going outdoors and sort of equipping their vehicles to be better. Yeah. And I was like, well, hey, you know, if you guys are going to reach this giant audience that you have captive already, you know, the most important thing you can do is deliver a safety message. And part of that's navigation, part of that's preparedness, and part of that is, you know, responsible use of the trails and the vehicles. Mm. And so we see that in payloads. Driving around town, you know, here in Bozeman, Montana, you know, driving past my front window, sometime in the next 30 seconds will be a Subaru Outback that is so far beyond payload that it's it's <laughs> it's comical. Yeah. You know, that person invariably at some point is going to think they have a legit off-road vehicle, get it up a dirt road or get it in the snow, get it stuck, and have no idea what to do from that point. Yeah. And just outside of town here, I mean, you could spend 20 minutes driving and be, you know, 15 miles deep in yeah. the grizzly bear territory without water, without bear spray, without any effective tools, have your outback, you know, your overladen outback <laughs> high centered, have no straps, have no max shark, have no shovel on board. Yeah. And what do you do? And so at its worst, overlanding is not just a fad. It's also putting people's lives at risk. Yeah. So people have to have good tools and get good yeah. messages around that. And hopefully hopefully training mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully just growing their experiences over time. You know, not everybody's going to have access or financial capability to seek out professional training, but hopefully they can find responsible sources of information online, on YouTube, things like that. Yeah. They can learn what they need over time, upgrade what they need over time, and not just think that hey, my Outback is a super effective vehicle yeah. and then just immediately go get it stuck the first time they use it. And you've, um, you've done a good job through outside and, and definitely wild in your own efforts of communicating that message. What are the other opportunities as an industry that we can take advantage of to help improve that? I would love to see the uh, the vehicle manufacturers get on board. Mm -hmm. You know, they're spending millions of dollars conquesting buyers into a level of off-road capability that's never existed before, that those buyers have never had before. Uh, and then they're not at the same time, inter you know, they're, they're intercepting with a purchase message and a lifestyle message, and then not intercepting with a safety message. Yeah. And so not to pick on Subaru too much, because all the OEs are, are guilty of this, but just because it's in my mind, because we just talked about it. But the new Outback Wilderness, new Forester Wilderness are great examples of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Increased um, capability. So a little bit, not a whole lot of increased capability, but yeah. a whole lot of image. Mm -hmm. So people are going to try to use them in more significant ways. And then they have the suggestion of like recovery points, for example. So they've covered their tow hook eyelets and little bronze covers. At no point in the buying process are you intercepted with a message that, hey, what lies behind that bronze cover is not a real recovery point. You cannot pull a car out of mud using that. You will die. Yeah. It's just a, hey, this is a super sick off-road Subaru. Right. Uh, and so you'd be forgiven to go off-road and say Death Valley, for instance, get your car stuck, not have a whole lot of experience outdoors, mm. not have a whole lot of appropriate safety messages, 
try to walk out for help and die as two people yeah. did last year. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. We just all, everybody in the industry saw the pictures last week of the guy in the super duty. He tried to recover off a toe ball. Yeah. Uh, he killed himself right in front of his two little toddlers in the, in the back seat and car seats. And that's super sad. And that, that didn't have to happen. Well, and that's a really important message that you're sharing that we need to be thinking about not only does our truck work and does it look cool and right. all those things that are totally normal human behaviors, right. but how do we do that safely? And how do we make sure that the people that are with us are being safe as well? So all of that it's, it's messaging and it's yeah. training. And, you know, again, the OEs have the biggest budgets in the world of any yeah. advertiser. And it'd be so refreshing to see them tackle some of these issues mm. alongside selling cars. I think their consumers would be happier. Uh, I think they would be feel more empowered and they get more out of the car and feel more loyal to the brands if they have these empower messages of how to use the vehicle safely and capably. And one of the things that I've also noticed in the time that I've been following your career is that you've done you've done a lot of backpacking, you've done a lot of backcountry mm-hmm. activities, mm-hmm. and it seems that you've been able to maintain most of that ethos in your vehicle projects as well. So, you know, as a backpacker, every ounce counts. Mm-hmm. And if I look at your Ranger that we drove in today, mm-hmm. everything is very intentional. So right. first of the first question is, why a Ranger? That's a good question. My question back to you is why doesn't everybody drive a Ranger? <laughs> and part of that's the issue, the overall issue we're talking about here is that there's not a lot of good information coming out of the industry that's consumer facing. So you look at you and I, we, we have very small channels. Mm-hmm. As successful as we are in the, in the grand scheme of things, Overland Journal, outside, whatever else I do is, is relatively small in comparison to the megaphone held by original equipment manufacturers, the car companies, the big car magazines, the buff books, mm. TV shows, all that kind of thing. Those are the guys that reach, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people. And, you know, we're reaching people who are already engaged, already prepared to accept a safety message, you know, that kind of thing, have some experience. The Ranger, uh, depending on how you option it, uh, has a 1,600-pound to 2,100-pound payload. Two-door, two-wheel drive on LT, you get 2,100 pounds. That is 200 pounds more than the highest payload you can possibly get out of any spec of the new Tundra, right? Which is a a class up. That's up there with full-size trucks. And so my four-door, four-by-four is 1,600 pounds. And that means, you know, because I use it to take my wife and I camping and our dogs, you know, two of us weigh 300 pounds. My dogs weigh 300 pounds. I can throw on 300 pounds of protective gear and still have, you know, that's 900. So I've still got 700 pounds to work with. For a go fast and everything else. For a go fast for everything else. You know, for beers, uh, for steaks, you know, all that kind of stuff. Everything on the Ranger is built up to that weight rating. So it's, it's, you know, payload isn't just this, this weird term that's out there in the universe. It's every bolt, it's every nut, it's the size of the brakes, it's the capacity of the cooling system, it's the transmission's you know ability to withstand stress. It's everything. Payload, if, if we come up with any way to define the work a truck can perform, the way to express that is payload. Yeah, for sure. And the counter to that is usually that there's some suffering with ride quality, but I haven't found that to be the case with the Ranger. The Ranger has maintained pretty good ride quality. I've got a $5,000 complete Old Man Evo BP-51 system on mine, which is extraordinarily good. Even stock, it's pretty good. Even stock, it's not bad. You know, it's it's one of the beef I have with mainstream car magazines. Again, like my background, I used to, I was the first first ever road test editor, Jalopnik. I've written for all the buff books, all I ever wanted from you know, all Teenage West ever wanted was to be a road test editor of a car magazine. Yeah. You know, I did it. I did it at the highest level. I left that world behind. So I still have some beef with that world. The information that comes out is poor. So like they go test drive a Ranger or Tacoma or, you know, anything. You're mostly driving it on a launch because nobody, no car journalist that I know actually goes camping. It's super frustrating. They're driving it solo or maybe with a camera person on board with no weight in the bed. And you don't buy a pickup truck 
to drive solo with no weight in the bed. You know, you might buy a, a Jeep to do that, a two-door Jeep to do that. You might buy a Maverick to do that. You might buy a Subaru Crosstrek to do that. But you buy a pickup truck because you carry. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so people complaining about ride quality when there's nothing in the bed is just such an, a non-real world use case ever. These people are just so out. They just have no idea how consumers actually use vehicles. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the stock Ranger ride's fine. Throw some camping here in the back, throw your dogs in it. You know, it's designed to carry weight. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we have uh, tons of sandbag. These like heavy-duty canvas sandbags mm-hmm. we can load up. And we know exactly how much each one weighs. They're the same. And we just load them up in the back so we can get a sense for that. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see that at a mainstream car magazine where they yeah. had a consistent test methodology, yeah. uh, tested everything, you know, in a really transparent and equal way. That was also based on real world use. Mm-hmm. No, that's excellent. And then I've, I've noticed on your Ranger that you've got, you've been very intentional about how you've built it because this is actually your second Ranger. Yes. So talk to me about what you did for modifications to this truck. So the first Ranger, uh, I got one of the first, when the Ranger came to America, Actually, I should back up a second. Let me tell you a story. So a few years ago, Matt Glass, Fred Williams, Chris, not Cortez, other Chris. Collard. Collard. Uh, and I all drove across the Simpson de- Desert together. Right. Uh, we took eight total vehicles. We had a bunch of Australians with us too. That's a story from another time. Is that, is that the flooding? When the yeah, flooding yeah. When that huge flooding happened. Oh, it was. It was. Oh, you guys were running out of toilet paper. Oh, we ran out of everything. It was. It was horrible. It was a very <laughs> challenging trip. I, I actually got washed down river in a, in a GQ patrol for a couple hundred yards. I thought we were going to die, but you know. Yeah, 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 it sounds perfect. We took eight vehicles. Every single one of them broke several dozen times. No exaggeration. The FJ40 we had to tow out with a Defender for like 3,000 miles, you know, uh, this was a big trip. And the one vehicle in the entire trip that never, a bolt never came loose, never even got close to being stuck, just never had an issue. The guy who ran ARB was driving it. He just sat there and like sat in the air conditioning while we like fixed cars on the side of the road and made fun of us. Was the Ranger. You know, when those come to America, I'm buying one of those. And I called my friend Mike who runs Ford Communications and told him that. And he was like, well, A, it's coming and B, you're not buying it. So he sent me one of the first ones off the production line. And it was great. You know, my wife and I took it to our wedding in Baja Sur back. We modified it extensively for that trip, but we modified it in a way that was, you know, right at the very beginning of its production run. There were very few parts available. We just had to go with what was what was out there. Sure. You know, Icon had a suspension system for it, but they had no rear springs. Uh, so it sagged. Didn't have a front bumper that I was crash tested that I was happy with. You know, stuff like that compromises. Sure. I had the first ever go fast camper made for the Ranger. It was two inches too tall and probably cost me five miles per gallon, you know, right. kind of thing. When it was time for that car, car to back to Ford, I looked at the whole car market and like, there's nothing else that's small enough to be useful off-road that has this high of a payload. You know, I want independent front suspension because I do thousands of miles of on-road driving for every couple hundred miles I get off-road. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted good road manners. I wanted fuel efficiency. I wanted a, a pickup I could use for, for day-to-day just as off-road. So the Jeep sure. wasn't considered... Uh, it's a very good product if all you're doing is off-road, but it is not a yeah. great on-road vehicle. So I bought a second one and I learned from the experiences that I learned from the first one, the compromises that I made and I resolved to do it right. I got this one really right. It's nice. It's yeah. one of the, the best cars I, I've ever driven. I'm super happy with it. Again, I chose this car because of my experience in Australia. So I tried to like apply the program of Australian vehicle modification to mm-hmm. it. You know, readers, if you're not aware, uh, Australia actually regulates its 4x4 industry through a series of rules called the Australian Design Rules. It's tire size, it's suspension lift, all this kind of stuff to make sure people's vehicles are safe and reliable and functional as they travel the outback, yeah. right? And so I try to use as many Australian parts as possible. 
Uh, and where I wasn't able to use those, I used American parts. So again, full Ulman Nemo BB-51 suspension system. I don't think BB-51 gets the reputation it deserves in this country. It's actually a consumer product, a consumer fully focused, consumer-ready product that's sold on shelves. Yeah. And when a lot of Americans think about suspension, they go and get some like incredibly elaborate custom setup, or they just buy something from some guy who's like, well, your vehicle weighs how much? Okay, here's your springs. Yeah. You know, whereas in conscious, what I mean by consumer-level products, I mean, engineers from ARB have done thousands of miles, not just on the suspension itself, but on every possible application. So if they certify it for the, for the Ranger, that means somebody's actually driven around the Outback, driven around Australia a couple of times, you know, changing, you know, valve rates and, you know, shim stacks and things like that to make sure it's, it's dialed. Yeah. And these are um, internal bypass shocks, and, which most, which most are yes, not. Quadruple internal bypass shocks that are adjustable for both compression and rebound damping, which most are not. Most are um, not. At a relatively affordable price point because they're mass manufactured and with long service intervals and they stand up to weather. Uh, the BP-51, I have my wife's Land Cruiser, uh, has been through three winters now and looks like it's brand new. Yeah, sure. And you could not say the same thing if it was Kings or Fox or something yeah. like that. So yeah, they don't have the corrosion test. No, they don't. And the BP-51, you know, OME, ARB actually does this. They provide, they, stu- they dunk it in salt water. They run a past government test. They make sure it's not going to roll over in a lane change maneuver. You know, all that stuff that you actually really want as a consumer that's really important, they do. And there's not really another brand that does. Especially not from that perspective. What I've noticed is that these are premium performance shock absorbers that are designed for daily drivers. Yes, quadruple, so they don't, they quadruple don't, internal bypass, yeah. remote reservoir shocks that work just as well driving around downtown Bozeman. And they don't rattle. They don't no. make a bunch of noise. They don't squeak. So that's, that's the reason why I run them. Yeah, and they and they spec it out for the weight of the vehicle too. So it's mm-hmm. not like you go and do you know a custom shop and you're like, hey, you know my vehicle weighs whatever. OME has sitting on dealer shelves, light duty, medium duty, and heavy duty setups, and you just look at the weight of the springs and you choose what's appropriate for you. And yeah. so and, and you can and see it on your truck; it works great. It works great. And so, in addition to that, just continuing to talk about ARB, I have an ARB front bumper. Front bumpers are another great example of how Australia does products at a level that we just don't. ARB crash tests Rangers with ARB bumpers. In full-on crash tests with slow-motion cameras to comply with government regulations in Australia. You know, you compare that to, like, any of the popular bumpers here, and it's just like some meth heads in Idaho, like, welding some wel- some metal hoops together. You know, <laughs> it, it might be enough to shed a deer, but it's not enough to guarantee that your airbag is going to fire at the exact right moment in a real crash. Yeah, sure. Which ARB is guaranteeing. Yeah. And, like, that's important. Like, we need to build safe vehicles. Yeah, that's yeah. why we did that test years ago. Chris Collard ran it, and we actually, you know, had a light mm-hmm. a light measuring. Mm-hmm. It's a huge dome, you know, where they yeah. actually gather all yeah. of the light. And, yeah, they did not always line up with the manufacturer's specification. Right. We can talk about this for hours. i obsessed with lights. But, you know, it's just, you know, again, like buying products from a country that regulates how things are made and yeah. make sure those things are effective and safe and, and you know, high quality and useful is is so much more so much more important than buying them from so much more effective for your use than buying them from a place that doesn't regulate stuff. Yeah, sure. And it's, it's frustrating. And a special thanks to Onyx Off-Road for helping to support this week's podcast. Going further on your adventures is about having the right tools. The Onyx Off-Road app's intuitive maps make it easy to find trails and disperse camping. And their offline maps give you full GPS navigation capability without cell coverage. I'm also really excited about their new route builder for planning and sharing custom trips. It's got a snap to trail tool where you can just drop points where you want to go and a route automatically connects to the closest road or trail. 
You can build, save, and add routes to folders and share your entire trip with your buddies. You can find out more information on onxmaps.com. You can also find their apps in the Apple Store or whatever other device that you use. Thanks again, Onyx. So what did you do for uh, self-recovery? You have a winch on the truck? Yeah, I've got a Warren. Wouldn't run anything but Warren. They make everything right here in America. I think they have a Chinese line now, but you know, it's still yeah. certified to American safety stuff and covered by the same warranties. I think it's a 10,000 pounds yeah, nice. synthetic line. Uh, I use it once a year, usually for some idiot who is unprepared. Yeah, you're recovering somebody else. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, oh, but they're blocking your way home. Yeah, they're you gotta blocking, help them I, I can't get off until I would. Yeah, so I got to help course. them. One of my most comical uses of winch was I was driving down... Um, by the campus here in Bozeman and a food truck was high center at a curb. <laughs> and I was, I was totally, I was totally prepared just to drive past and not deal with it. And then I saw a cop pop his trunk and pull out a ratchet strap. And I was like, Oh God, I, I can't drive past this. I can't drive past this. Yeah. You know? And again, like just the majority of American consumers don't understand vehicle recovery and mm-hmm. it, it actually kills people and using, oh, yeah. using real products is super important. Like we just talked about a couple of weeks ago, yeah. you know, putting a toe strap around a toe ball, you know, it's enough to kill somebody. It, it is, and it's sad, yeah. uh, and it, it happens so fast. It turns an everyday thing that you and I do without thinking now, yeah. because we've done it so often, into something that actually kills dads, and like that sucks. Yeah, and all it takes is just an effective safety message. Where like I, w- I wish that it was just regulated in some way. Where like it doesn't matter how stupid you are, you can't buy the wrong product. Yeah, and it's a shame it's not that way. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. No doubt. Make that part important part of messaging. So then in the back, you've got a GoFast. Yes, I've got a GoFast camper, which I love. It's impressive. I mean, looking at the one on your truck to see that it is, it's not just an evolution from Gen 1 to Gen 2. It's definitely a revolutionary product. It's it's insane. I mean, so I took Scott by the factory today. Uh, Full disclosure, I work with the guys at GoFast now. You know, take all this with a grain of salt. I wouldn't, if anybody who knows me has read my stuff for the last 20 years from now, I would never speak, not speak the truth. But, you know, I, I should say that I, you know, I, I do work with those guys now. So it is a level of product that it does not exist elsewhere. All of the hardware on it is, is machined from built aluminum uh, by robots, which is really impressive. Yeah, we watched that today. That was yeah. really impressive. So that can take all the different sort of force vectors uh, and then push those force vectors through the aluminum extrusions in ways that aluminum extrusions can handle. Aluminum extrusions is very good at handling straight forces, not bending forces. We've got a topper coming out in the next couple of weeks that we just threw 4,000 pounds of weight on the top of, and it was fine. We could we could sell that product to consumer tomorrow. They would never know we had four, we had thrown 4,000 pounds of, of weight on the top, and that exceed, and that was sized for a Tacoma. Yeah, sure. You know? <laughs> so like for a Tacoma. Yeah, I mean, it would if we, if we had actually put 4,000, the camper sat on the ground during that, because <laughs> we actually put it on a Tacoma, it would have, it would have been the frame. <laughs> sure. You know, it's just a... There's a level of quality and insightful design and intelligent product there that just it's just not evident anywhere else. And it's also appropriate for the way that I enjoy the outdoors because I go outdoors to be outdoors. You know, I enjoy ultralight backpacking. You know, if I camp on a beach, I want to feel the fog in the morning, mm. you know, kind of thing. And it's it's that level of product, which I really enjoy. It's not, I like your scout camper. I understand its appeal. There's times when I feel like I could use one, but I want to be outdoors. Yeah, sure. You know, I want to camp. I'm going to cook under my awning. Sure. While it's, while it's pouring rain in a thunderstorm. Yeah. You know, I want to climb inside during high winds and, you know, feel the wind a little bit, feel like I'm outdoors. Yeah. Uh, and the GFC gives me enough to be very comfortable. You know, my wife and I had my had our honeymoon in one yeah. with all three dogs and had a great time. 
And, but it's, 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 it's still at level of product where I feel like I'm outdoors. Yeah. I feel like I'm camping. I don't really like trailers and RVs and campers because I already yeah, have if you're house. not living out of it, you don't really need to do it. I already have a really nice house. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't spending two months out of it, but I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I yeah. think the overall execution of that truck is really effective. You know, it's not very often we get to talk about people's wives' vehicles, but yeah. Her truck is sweet. Tell so me about the 200. I, I, should, I should back up a little bit here. Sorry to back up all the time. I was a car journalist for a long time. I uh, did it at the highest level. Uh, I've been very successful in my career. You know, I can, within a reason, not quite Matt Scott levels of ridiculousness, but I can, I can own any car that I want. Yeah. Right. The best car, the best vehicle that I've ever driven for my uses is the custom Toyota Land Cruiser that my wife drives. Yeah, sure. The second best vehicle that I've ever driven is my Ranger. And I, <laughs> nice. I feel really privileged to be able to say that. Like yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't train those two vehicles for anything. I wouldn't train them for a Ferrari. I wouldn't yeah. train them for a G wagon. And so what I did my wife's Land Cruiser, you know, a, again, we live here in Montana. Weather can change really fast. Here. There's no effective weather forecasts. You just never know what you're going to get. I wanted to make sure she felt super empowered to go outdoors without me with her friends and feel like she was safe and that she could push the limits a little bit and go places she hadn't seen before. And I want to know she was safe. Uh, I built her the best Land Cruiser. You know, we took advantage of the products that are out there for that very, you know, that global, well-supported platform. And we didn't build it past the point of reasonable where, which a lot of people do. There's nothing on the roof. There's no roof rack. There's no 500 pound tent. Right. What we did uh, was I long traveled it with OE parts off a of second gen Tundra creates a plus 1.5 situation every side and a little over 12 inches of total wheel travel up front. So that's as much as like a, a brand new, like Jeep Wrangler Rubicon yeah, or, sure. you know, for Bronco Sasquatch level of like articulation from something that fits in the stock fenders and the stock wheels on 33s. And did you retain the KDSS? Oh yeah. KDSS is what makes it to a series Land Cruiser, a series Land Cruiser. And it's really So that's interesting that it can be retained with those longer travel. Yeah. It it bolts right up. All we had to change was the lower control arms, upper control arms, CVs and tie rod ends. Right. And so everything just bolts right up to the KDSS. Nice. And it's, it's incredible because, you know, we can drive it somewhere. It's Montana. There's three cops, all three have written me speeding tickets. You know what I mean? (laughs) And there was a, there was a period of time where Montana did not have have a speed limit. Yeah. Which I think is amazing. The speeding tickets here are like 20 bucks so it's you know it's yeah they're like hey man you're going pretty fast you're like i know if you checked if we checked out my truck they're like dude it's sweet you know <laughs> that like that's the interaction yeah, right sure. so i drive everywhere at 100 miles an hour you know her truck can corner totally flat on pavement 100 miles an hour like a bentley yeah and then the second you go on a dirt road and you know kdss works it's a mm-hmm. hydraulic system uh and it just sort of automatically you know if there's any if both axles are being pu- pushed in the same direction this way bars are connected mm-hmm. and the second the axles move differently this way bars are disconnected and so you drive down a dirt road and you can imagine you hit a pothole and the rear axle falls into it and the rear axle falls into it without its way bar disconnected yeah and there's no there's no time for an actuator or anything like that happening with disconnected it just doesn't have this way bar and so you can drive down like a rough dirt road like we drive down every single day you know with all the extra travel you know from the long travel situation we there's roads here that we take at like 85 miles an hour in her land cruiser that like locals drive down at like 25 miles an hour like complaining sure you know it's just it's ridiculous uh virginia like goes on a camping trip with our friends and people are like creeping along in four low and she just like steamrolls through like 55 (laughs) miles an hour with like her her arm like you know her axle is just doing this and she has no idea that it's happening right 
She's just working. driving along going, why is everybody complaining? This is not hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, you know, she's just retaining traction everywhere because her, her wheels are just in contact with the ground no matter what she hits. Yeah, sure. You know, and this, that vehicle is just, just extraordinarily good. Yeah. It manages traction really well, you know, with the full time. It's got torsion center diff. Uh, so it's always running at all wheel drive. Yeah. We took it out for a video shoot where I was trying to demonstrate its 4F4 capabilities for, for outside. And your video shoots are complicated, you know, dynamic things. I'm shouting at my cameraman. We're trying to figure out sound, you know, we're doing obstacles and obstacles and obstacles. And I realized like halfway through the day, I'd never put it in four wheel drive. Driving around in all wheel <laughs> I was just driving around in all wheel drive and it was fine. You can yeah. see the wheels spinning up a little bit, but it made it through every obstacle. Yeah, sure. Uh, except Torsen just puts the power where it's needed. Yeah, that's you know, impressive. and there's just, there's just a level of spec on that truck that will probably never be recreated again yeah, it's, we, it's not likely although electric yeah. electric can achieve a lot of it but not with that same level of we're not we're around not, the world yeah. capability we're, we're not seeing articulation from the electric shocks no. yet no not yet but you know that form factor frees a lot of, frees up a lot of things never say never but we, we haven't seen it yet yeah uh we're not seeing traction handles to the same degree as like you know a triple lock situation sure you know, we're not seeing, you know, tires in a place where they're, they're happy. You know, the Rivian is on street tires. Yeah, like a basically. Yeah, because they have to get the range. The street tires. And the, you know, the, the Hummer's on mud terrains. But, you know, again, that's a six-figure truck. That it is. On your Land Cruiser, you have front and rear lockers in that? Uh, rear locker. Rear locker? Yeah. And then you've got uh, what size it, tire? Uh, it's a 33. It's a 275-70-18. Nice. Which, again, I didn't have to re-gear it. Yeah, sure. Uh, with that new eight-speed they put in it. Awesome. It's got an ARB front compressor. Uh, so you got to take off in the grill so you can air up and down our tires super easy. Perfect. That's uh, We have that. We have we have ARB front bumper. Again, safest bumper in the world. Sliders from Slee, which are just super strong. ARB rear bumper without a swing out, which I mostly just did for because it's an expensive vehicle. Yeah, sure. And I don't like the idea of people running into it. Uh, it makes with, them pay attention. Exactly. It, people have hit it. I was I went through a car wash with their car last year. Some dude in a brand new Explorer confused like park neutral drive <laughs> and rammed me uh, in the middle of the car wash. I, I didn't understand what had happened. I was sitting there in the car wash and all of a sudden the car wash shut off and I didn't feel anything. And like all the guys were laughing and they were like, come on, come on, drive out. And I drove out and they're like, yeah, that guy's car is. <laughs> and so dude, and so dude an explorer had like ran in the back of me, like torn off his front bumper, like scooched up his hood. There was like a nick, like, you know, like a, a you know, like a, like a half an inch wide in the steel bumper that like I touched up with nail polish. The level of capability and reassurance that car provides just our everyday life, whether yeah. it's just driving around town in the Bozeman, like at the car wash. Yeah. Or there's an unexpected snowstorm or it's off-road and a river is a little higher than you thought it was. There's a little more mud than you thought there was be. That car will handle it. It'll handle it for everybody. It's It's got a Warren Xeon 12S in the front. There's nothing it can't do. Well, and if you wanted to drive it down to Panama tomorrow. We would just put the dogs inside and go. <laughs> exactly. You I put... I pack some bags and one, off you go. One of my favorite things I, I should not have never failed to manage because it's literally my favorite thing in the whole truck beyond the suspension uh, is a long range American fuel tank. And so it's 12 and a half extra gallons, which at 12 miles per gallon is, yeah. is useful. And it hides up in the frame voids. It's formed up into the voids of the frame okay. above the spare. So you can retain the spare in the stock location, not lose any height. The spare does not hang any lower. Interesting. And you just get 12 and a half extra gallons on, on board. And so my wife, you know, weighs a hundred pounds. Her fussing with a jerry can is just going to be a nightmare. Sure. And I'm going to hear about it. And so instead of having a jerry can, she has two and a half jerry cans and all she does is push a button yeah, and sure. they pump right into the main tank and yeah, we, get 50, we get 50% more range. Yeah, that's awesome. With your broad spectrum of outdoor you know, experiences and skill and research and editorial, what do you consider to be the fundamental skills of outdoormanship? 
that that you would talk to people about? What do you what do people need to be thinking about when they go outdoors? I think people focus a lot on really silly stuff. Like I, I have friends that want to be more outdoorsy and they go and attend like a Knowles class. They yeah. try to learn everything. You know, honestly, just a sense of adventure with the ability to you know effectively evaluate risks and to make smart decisions. And yeah, just, like, just go out there and do it. Like, yeah. I don't think there's a whole lot of skill or knowledge or things like that. You're like, you'll learn it. Uh, we all learned it. Made a yeah, lot so of mistakes. So maybe, start, maybe starting yeah. with manageable risk. Yeah. Start, start, start with stuff you know you can do. Just go car camping. Gain the experience um, and then You know, keep if it's going. cold and like your sleeping bag doesn't work, get a better sleeping bag. Yeah. Read a couple of online stuff on Expedition Portal about like recovery gear. Make sure you pack the right stuff. Watch a couple of YouTube videos on how to use it. Yeah. And, and there you go. Like, you know, first date is first date. You put a bandaid on it. It's about the extent of what you do. Yeah. You know, try not to cut yourself with a knife yeah. while you're cooking food. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, and that that happens more often. Yeah, than I think. it's amazing. It, it does happen. I, you yeah. know, the the big thing is just like try try to be a good citizen, dispose of your poop properly, don't litter. You know, things like that. Like you'll be fine if you make a mistake. You're going to learn from it, and you'll be more fine next time because you made a mistake. Yeah, Wes, I think that that's one of the biggest struggles that our industry has now is the number of people that are out overlanding. Yeah. The amount of trash. I don't think overlanders leave trash. They, they don't leave much, yeah. but they definitely leave a lot of human waste behind. As a dog owner, the amount of human poop that is out there, it's not hard to poop appropriately. Like carry a shovel, dig a hole. That hole should be six to eight, six, six, six to eight inches. Put poop in it and pee in it. Nothing else. Yeah. Throw your toilet paper in a trash bag and carry it out. Yeah. There you go. You pooped outdoors. Congratulations. Yeah. Exactly. Why is that hard? And if you have the capability like I do in the Scout, you know, just I have a composting toilet in there. Then you don't even have to leave anything in the outdoors. Great. Yeah. I'm going to get one of those new Japanese toilets that seals everything in like a heat sealed wag bag yeah, for you. Clever. And like, I don't need to do that again. Like I don't camp where other people camp. I go yeah. way further than other people. Um, I just feel that I've encountered so much human poop yeah. that I want to take my situation at least to the next level. So I'm setting a good example. That's but, why I'm doing it. I just want to yeah. minimize that, that that's yeah. even happening. But if you look at Moab last year, I mean, they, they shut down camping because they had 3.2 million people and it was literally the human waste. Yeah. It was too much. It's awful. And like, like it's not that hard to deal with poop. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's not that hard. You know what? Plan ahead. If you're going to go out for a weekend, poop on Friday before you take off. Yeah. You probably won't need to poop again until Sunday when you're back at McDonald's. Like or it's, at least, it's that, or it's at least think about at least yeah. think about the people that are going to come to that campsite yeah. after you. Yeah. You know, pick up after yourself. Don't leave poop everywhere. Plan to visit that campsite again. Would, yeah. you, would you want to come back to that campsite if somebody had diarrhea all over it? Yeah, you exactly. Know? And that happens. It totally does. So one of the things that we do like to ask is all this experience that you've had being automotive journalists, traveling around the world, mm -hmm. you know, building vehicles, backpacking, hunting. How, ha how has all of those experiences changed you as a person? What are the things about you that you realize that that experience has really shifted in your mindset? To answer your question about you know what, what what this has given me, it's just I just want to help people. Yeah, I want other people to to you know I want people to listen to this and feel like they are more empowered to go outdoors. I want people to read my stuff and feel like they're more empowered to go outdoors. Just be full of love yeah. and care about other people and do everything. If all of us should do everything we can to help each other, yeah, then we all win. Yeah, it gets easier. You know, it gets easier I, for everybody. All the work that I've done to help other people that have less than I have, yeah. all the work that I've ever done to stand up for what's right, all the politics I've ever done, everything has made me richer, not poorer. Yeah. And I don't understand why everybody just doesn't do it. It's it's been an overwhelming victory for me, and it will be an overwhelming victory for anybody else who puts them out there and puts themselves out there in the same way. Well, that's inspirational, man. Thanks yeah. for the work that you're doing with that. That's really amazing. 
You know, another question that I like to ask, uh, which is usually a selfish one, is uh, the books that have made a difference in your life. The, th- the books that you're like, man, that was an amazing read. Back in Georgia, I had this incredible opportunity to be mentored. I was a very little kid at the time by this guy named Mark Warren. Uh, and Mark Warren is a member of the Cherokee tribe, uh, a prolific outdoor educator. So he has a series of survival books that are available on Amazon. You know, I lived with this guy for a summer, learned how to swim whitewater from, from him, learned how to catch snakes from him, learned how to build shelter from him. You can learn all of that from this and learn how to eat native plants from him. All, all of that same stuff is available in books, Mark Warren on Amazon. And he's also written a really incredible trilogy about the history of white herb, where he collaborated with the herb family. Um, and has written probably the first true history as much as they understand it to be true about this larger than life, you know, Wild West figure. Uh, So he's incredible. And then the other guy that I really love is uh, Robert Young Pelton. Yeah, he's amazing. Have you met Pelton? Oh, a bunch of times. Yeah. Fantastic. So He's the real deal. Yeah, Pelton's my hero. And I sent him an email like 10 years ago. And I was like, hey, man, can I buy you a drink sometime? He wrote right back. He's like, sure. We went out for drinks. He, he made sure that I paid. Yeah. You know, <laughs> fair enough. We got hammered. Fair enough. Uh, we became friends. Yeah. Uh, now we go camp. We, we go on camping trips together. Yeah. Uh, he's a great dude. And he's just super interesting. He's one of those guys that the world's just never been scary to him. No. He'll visit a war zone. He'll go anywhere. And he's just like, hey, man, I'm Robert. And people are like, that's cool. You want to be friends? The, and like, that's a great the, way to be. The story of him yeah. going into Iraq, just as the war is kind, yeah. of, kind of at its peak, mm-hmm. he buys one of Saddam Hussein's Rolls Royces for like $2,000 in cash. Yeah. Yeah. And he and he drives yeah. it He drives it across the country. Yeah. It's an unbelievable story. He's ridiculous. Yeah. We went on a camping didn't trip. He, didn't he write The World's Most Dangerous Places? Yes. Something like that's that. That's what he's yeah. famous for. Yeah. Sure. So he had, a, he had a TV series in the 90s that was on like CBS yeah. or something. Yeah, uh, we went camping in uh, Anza Borrego with the latest Gen Four Raptor when it first came out, and some dude got super upset that Wiley here was off leash, and you know Robert's like seven feet tall, and so he was like screaming in my face. And I don't know how to navigate it. Yeah, and so Robert just comes over and he's like, "Hey, man!" <laughs> and the guy like looks up at Robert. He's like, "Oh no!" Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not a small guy either. Yeah. He is an amazing character. So yeah, anybody that's listening to check out Robert Young Pelton's mm-hmm. work is really awesome. Last question. Somebody's brand new to overlanding. Couple pieces of advice that you'd give them. Just go out there and have fun, man. Yeah. Like you know, subscribe to Ronnie Dahl yeah. on on YouTube. <laughs> he's a character. Uh, he's character. He's really good advice. Yeah. Watch some of his recovery advice. Uh, grab a snatch strap, two two shackles, two three quarter inch Crosby shackles. Make sure your car's recovery points. Set of max tracks, and that's about it. Make sure you air down. You know, make sure you poop in a hole, and just go have a trip. Yeah. You know, just go, just go do it. And, and you know, try to be super irresponsible, you know, try to, try to scale your experiences over time. Experience will teach you how to scale, but just, you have to get out there. I see so many people that just don't appreciate just, just how much is there. Like how much people that live here in Bozeman have no idea how accessible and crazy beautiful most of this state is. And you can't get to any of it without a four by four. Yeah. You know, people, people want to like, you know, be all pure, pure about backpack that. And I do all that stuff. I do all the human powered stuff and you can't get to any of it. That's worth a damn without a four by four. Yeah. So or at least just, not, not without a whole bunch of effort. Like, whole um, lot of days, whole lot of days of walking. That's right. You exactly. Know? Yeah. I'm not toting a kayak for 15 <laughs> miles up into those mountains right there, but I could drive there in about 10 minutes. I know. Isn't know? that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. amazing. Well, Wes, the work that you do for outside and your own outlets has always been inspirational to me. I think the quality of the editorial that you produce is exceptional. You've always put the reader first, and that's something that we always try to celebrate within our organization. 
How do people find out more about you and the work that you do? Just Google my name, Wes Seiler. Mostly write for Outside Magazine. I have a couple other projects. You know, you'll you'll find me. You probably read my stuff already. You, you don't even realize that it's you know. Yeah, yeah I, I'm very fortunate to be able to say that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's oh. very flattering. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Wes, thanks so much for being on the podcast. We'll talk to you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>